Okay, guys, today we're going to be talking about the tools that you can use to crush this financial game. It's time to talk about the buckets. You're listening to Choose FI Radio. The blueprint for financial independence lives here. If you're looking to unlock the secrets to financial independence and early retirement, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and join a community of like-minded people who are getting off the hamster wheel and taking control of their lives in the pursuit of financial independence. Choose FI, your home for financial independence online. All right, welcome back, guys. Today, we're starting a series, and we want to talk specifically about the tools that you have available to you. Basically, if you want to think about it this way, the order of operations, the buckets that you can use to reach financial independence. Yeah, I think this is a long overdue podcast. I think this will be interesting for the audience, certainly. It'll be interesting for us to clarify. And we've certainly spoken about many, if not all, of these different buckets, but it's important to lay it out sequentially and and give people a real framework. So so yeah, I think, like I said, this is overdue, and, and it's an important episode. And also last week, we talked a little bit about how we wanted to optimize individual income brackets, their scenarios, the tools that they have available to them. And you can't really do that until you've spent a good amount of time talking about the different tools that you would use and the categories in which they would work. So today, this is going to be a conversation on order of operations and specifically in the framework of buckets, the buckets that you have available. Now, just in general, there's four basic ways for your retirement money to be taxed. The best way, option number one, would be to not tax it on the front end, not tax it while it's growing, and then not tax it on the back end. That's the power of the HSA. That is the magical dream pot. That's what we'd love for everything to be. Now, there's some constraints there that limit us from throwing all of our money at that. But in a perfect world, you don't have to pay any taxes on it going in. You don't have to pay taxes on it growing and you don't have to pay taxes on it coming out. And we'll explore that a little bit more down the road. Option number two, you tax it on the front end, but then you don't tax it while it's growing and you don't tax it when it comes out. That's a Roth IRA. That's really going to be the focus of today's episode. Uh, Option number three, you don't tax it on the front end. You don't tax it while it's growing, but then when you pull it out on the back end, uh, it does get taxed. That is your 401k. That's also all of your deferred compensation tools, uh, your SEP IRA. That is your 457, also the traditional IRA. And then finally, this is your fourth option. It'll be taxed on the front end and at various times while it's growing. So, you know, think dividends and capital gains. Uh, This is your regular brokerage account, your post-tax brokerage account. This is your Vanguard. This is VTSAX. So obviously option number one of the four of those we mentioned is the best, but extreme limitations on how much you can put into it. If you only limited yourself to that one option, you can only get but so far. Options two and three are really good as well, because even in the worst possible scenario where you lose some of those benefits, it just ends up reverting to option number four. Yeah, that's a, a pretty good summary. And yeah, obviously, number one is the the magic elixir, right? The That's best case scenario, no taxation anywhere. I think number three, where you talked about those are the traditional IRAs and 401ks and different options like that. Those, as we've discussed with the mad scientist and with Jeremy from Go Currycracker, you can potentially use the Roth IRA conversion ladder to get that money out tax-free eventually. So it's conceivable that people who are really smart, plan ahead, and you know are in this FI community, that we can get our traditional IRAs and 401ks, 457s, that we can get most of that money out 
tax-free or almost tax-free. So that's an essential bucket for people in the FI community, the tax-deferred bucket. So I definitely want to make a real emphasis on that. Those, those, if it were up to me, those are the two buckets that we focus on most specifically. But obviously, the Roth IRAs and certainly your traditional savings, when you filled up all your other buckets, as Jonathan mentioned, there are there are limitations on the contributions you can put in. So you have money left over. And clearly, we don't want you going out and blowing it on cars and expensive dinners. You want to save it. So that's bucket number four. That's just a catch-all. And when Jonathan said VTSAX and Vanguard, that's not exclusive of that. And that certainly isn't the only place that you can invest in VTSAX. That's really important because I think sometimes people get a, a little bit confused with that. So that's just your regular life savings after everything. You've been taxed, you've paid your expenses, you've bought all the stuff you buy in your life, and you still have money left over. Hopefully most of us listening to this podcast have money left over. That then just goes in your regular savings account or your regular brokerage account. And we've started calling that your post-tax account, which might still be a little confusing to people, but it's alternately called like your taxable savings. But regardless, it's just the money you have left over. That's your regular life savings. So hopefully that gives you a very quick but important overview of these buckets. And we've already explored a few of those already. So just so you can reference back and see how those can be implemented. We spent a lot of time talking about capital gains harvesting, which really shows you the power of option number four. And that was episode 18 and 18R. We also spent a fair amount of time talking about tax deferred compensation and the power of maxing out those vehicles. And that was the episode with Millionaire Educator. And that was episode 13 and the companion episode, the Friday roundup for that episode 13. So that is a great place to start to really focus on how you can get the most benefit from option number three and also option number four. We have not spent a lot of time talking about the Roth and that is because in the FI community, we spend a massive amount of time figuring out how we can convert our tax deferred savings like our 401k and our 457. We have plans to actually get that out tax free as well by managing our income, essentially by retiring early or reducing our income and living off capital gains. We have found a, a small little lane that we can work within to not pay taxes on the money in the backside, which is why in the FI community, you don't see as much emphasis put on the Roth as you would in maybe a Dave Ramsey podcast or an alternative podcast that's outside of that early retirement spectrum. All right. So let's get started with the order of operations. So this is the framework of, of how you want to think about these different buckets. And, and it's really important. And I think even before we get into that, it's let's talk about the general concepts of how the public gets informed about this stuff and how the FI community gets informed about this. So, and it all comes down to, to this very specific lifestyle and what, what we're talking about here. So it's about taxation ultimately. And as we've discussed on many episodes, we are all about filling up your tax deferred buckets. That is really the most essential thing that you can possibly do is maximize those to the utmost. So in the vast majority of cases, that's going to mean a 401k, at your job or a 403B, 457 if you're lucky enough to have that option, traditional IRAs, and then we'll talk about HSAs as well. That's that's We're kind of considering that a separate bucket, but that is ultimately an item that reduces your taxable income in the current year. That's, that's what we're going for. That's the holy grail, is reducing your taxable income in the current year. Because that means that money is quote unquote tax deferred. So you're paying $0 in taxes on it. If you have, let's say $100,000 in gross income and you have $18,000 deferred in your 
company 401k, that means your income that goes on your 1040 tax return is just straight off the bat reduced to 82,000 because you pulled that 18,000 off. Now, that's a real significant amount because many of us are taxed in the 25% bracket or up. So you add in state tax, that's that's a full third of that money that is just would have been paid out today or in this current year to the sorted federal government, state governments that you get to keep and that money will compound over decades. So that is why the crucial aspect is controlling what you can control, which is your current year tax and your tax rate. Now, the reason why is we have strategies, as we've discussed again on the Roth IRA conversion ladder, that we have strategies potentially to get that money out with 0% effective tax rate or pretty darn close as millionaire educator and mad scientist and go card cracker have all mentioned and they all do personally in their lives. So this is not some pie in the sky thing. This is this is reality. You can potentially put that money in that everybody else thinks they're going to have to pay taxes on. And for them, that's uncertain because who knows where tax rates are going to go. If we have huge deficits and at some point we're going to have to pay for those things, taxes might have to rate. And that's usually the argument, the opposite argument, which is put it into a Roth IRA because you at least know what your tax rate is. But I reject that. And the FI community rejects that because we think that using our smarts and using the rules to the utmost that we can potentially get this money out for almost zero dollars in tax, which is amazing. Yeah. The conversation in Washington is always how to tax the high earners, but we kind of are stealthy rich in that your lifestyle costs less. So your money goes farther. So you can be the billionaires of yesteryear for a fraction of the price. And that's what allows you to sneak by the radar here. And the one thing I wanted to clarify is that while everybody, generally speaking, has access to this money after they're 59 and a half, and then they can, to some degree, control their tax rate in the FI community because of the tools that have been pieced together by thought leaders like Mad Fiantist and others with the Roth conversion ladder, we're not limited to 59 and a half. We have plans to actually access that money at any time that we want. There's a play there. Yeah. And that's one of the real superpowers of, of the FI community in general, which is, as Jonathan said, it's as long as your expenses are low. We always talk about that. The best thing that you can do to succeed financially is keep control of your expenses. It's just that simple because Everything else gets better when you just don't need that much to live every year. And that enables you to do these really advanced strategies because like we've talked about on on those episodes, it's essentially doing something bizarre, which is you're forcing a taxable event when you when you do this Roth IRA conversion. And that means you're paying, quote unquote, paying tax because you have taxable income of that conversion. Let's say it's forty thousand dollars to cover your yearly expenses. Well, for most people, they'd be paying that forty thousand at a a significant marginal rate, whereas we because our expenses are low and because if you're talking about being at FI, you're not bringing in other income necessarily. So your only income is that taxable event of that $40,000. And now when you take out your standard deduction, your personal exemptions, any other deductions you have, you're paying very minimal, if not $0 in tax on that. So that is the crucial point to remember. It's keeping control of your expenses enables you to benefit from these strategies that normally wouldn't exist for people of our wealth. Right. Because as Jonathan said, we're stealthy rich. It's having wealth. But in the eyes of the taxation system, you don't have a lot of income necessarily. So that's the key here. I love it. Stealthy rich. Getting the bumper sticker made right now, guys. You can count on it. Adding to the language. (laughs) Yeah, you've got a lot of those now. (laughs) You just have to create this whole new set of verbiage to use (laughs) when you when you're on your 41st podcast. Right. (laughs) 
That's awesome. So that's a great high level picture of the tools that we're working with. We want to dial in specifically on the Roth today. Now, the focus was initially going to be that we were going to talk about the backdoor Roth. And this is really a segue. It's kind of a throwback to our episode with Physician on Fire, where he laid out the principles behind that. We want to explore it a little further. But before we talk about the backdoor Roth, we need to talk about the front door, right? Yeah, the regular old Roth. Okay. So this is not as popular in the FI community in general. It is very popular in the Dave Ramsey camp. And it goes back to what we were just talking about and how we view this world and how we view stealth wealth, which is what we're working on. Now, that is not to say that there is no value here. If you anticipate that your tax rate is going to be higher in retirement than it is now while you're saving, that is the perfect time to put money in the Roth. So for instance, when we talk about you being a child at the age of six, or you get your first job at the age of 16, and your income is so low that you pay a 0% tax, and maybe your parents are in a position where they can match whatever you make. So you put all of your income, which is being taxed at 0% in your Roth, and your parents match that and give you an allowance or something else. That is a great play. Everybody should consider that, especially second generation fire, where we do not have cash flow issues, and we're trying to set our kids up. Maybe we're not planning on inheritance, but we want to make sure they're learning these tools now so that they are in great shape down the road. That is a phenomenal play, right, Brad? Yeah, you certainly can't argue with that. Also, in addition to that, the Roth, when you put money in there, you can take those contributions out anytime. So think about it as this beautiful long-term savings emergency vehicle where you have access to the contributions. Let's say you start putting them in from the age of six because you have some little, any type of job, doesn't matter what it is, but you have some sort of income that you're drawing. Maybe you're 16 and you're getting it. it really doesn't matter. Yeah, six, six sounds a little strange to some people, but yeah, we'll go with 16. <laughs> well, hey, I guarantee you Edmund has already considered it, <laughs> but if somebody is doing it, that's the point. But sure, 16, you know, whatever, as long as your income is low enough and you're in that 0% tax bracket, then this is the right play to make. And then you can draw that money out, those contributions that you've made if you needed to for maybe uh, you're purchasing your first car or cash, anything like that. But then what the earnings on that are now working for you in years to come. And I'm not telling you to draw it out, but you do have that available. And it is kind of like a superpower that I didn't have available to me because frankly, I didn't know about it and I didn't see the long-term value of it when I was 16. Second generation fire isn't going to have this problem because we're going to have these parents so amped up to like take charge of this and help their kids out that they are just going to be rocking and rolling. I don't even know if the United States is going to know what to do with all of these kids with these maxed out Roth IRAs from the age of you know 16 and up. It's just going to be awesome. Yeah. You talk about a, a compound interest calculator. If you start putting in thousands of dollars a year at 12, 13, 16, whatever it may be, by the time you get up to 50, 60, 80, I mean, those are, that's tens of millions of dollars. So yeah, that's, that's a, a really interesting way to look at it for sure. And just kind of like a, a larger overview of the Roth is there is a lot of allure to the Roth. And I know personally, like Jonathan said, just not knowing, I think that that's really the key. Like I didn't, I didn't know all of these strategies of the FI community until a handful of years ago. And I dutifully put money in my Roth IRA every single year because I listened to the traditional information outlets and just thought that, okay, you know, that makes sense to me intuitively, which is, all right, I'm paying some tax on it now, but I've got plenty of money now and it, it's not causing any undue hardship to pay the tax now. And wow, you mean that grows tax-free forever and I can pull it out whenever I want after 59 and a half and it's, it's my money. It's 100% my money. And I mean, 
there's logic to that. There's, like I said, there's a lure to that, that, all right, I know for sure that I've paid the tax and they're just letting me roll with this forever. That sounds pretty cool. But again, it's looking at a problem a little bit differently, which is what we are all about here. And it's, it's knowing that potentially you can, again, with traditional IRAs and 401ks, you can get that money out tax-free on both sides. It's tax deferred theoretically. So it reduces your tax in the front end and it's, you're pulling it out tax-free potentially with our strategy. So that's why I switched a little bit, but I understand why people do put money into Roth IRAs. And, and there is that uncertainty of the tax rate. So we just talked about who is going to benefit the person that is putting it in while they have either a zero or a 10% tax rate. They're going to be earning enough to be in a 25 or 30% marginal tax bracket down the road. There is real value to putting money in that Roth. Conversely, if you have somebody that is putting all of their energies into the Roth while they're in a 25% marginal tax bracket and then drawing it out in their later years in life where they have much lower income and technically they're in a 10% marginal tax bracket, that is a bad play. Yeah, that's clearly a mistake. And that was unknowable at the time when they put in put in the money right into the Roth IRA and they were at a 25 percent marginal tax bracket. And yeah, they clearly made the wrong call. There's no doubt about that. So that, again, is you control what you can control. And one of the things that we can control is putting money into our traditional IRAs and 401ks, which are getting zero percent tax in the current year. And that's why we certainly prioritize that. So you can obviously hear we're reiterating this many, many times, but we are trying to explain the Roth IRA here, but also to be cognizant of where this fits into the overall hierarchy of these different buckets. So ultimately for the FI community, it really doesn't come down to a choice between Roth versus 401k 457. We've basically made up our mind that for us, deferring taxes is always the right play. In almost every situation, with the exception of the kids, the second generation fire kids that start so young for that small window of time where they have very low income. For almost every other scenario, deferring taxes is the right call. That's why we put so much emphasis on the 457 and the 401k. Having said that, the next part of that is you need to compare the Roth to your regular brokerage accounts, your taxable savings. And that's a very important conversation. And Go Curry Cracker makes a very strong case that taxable savings is the right play. When you have a choice and you have to pick one or the other, you should definitely consider going with taxable savings because, again, in the United States, where we have this marginal tax bracket system, if your marginal taxes, if you've managed to stay under that $95,000-ish window for a married couple, then you can actually draw out those capital gains at a federal level, tax-free. And that is very powerful. Uh, in addition, you have much more flexibility with your contributions and your dividends. They're not tied up uh, under that 59 and a half window that the Roth is. Yeah, I think flexibility is always important. So whereas if, if all things were equal, you would want a scenario and you would want a bucket that is more flexible. So just by sheer definition, the Roth IRA has limitations on when you can theoretically pull these out penalty free, right? It's, it's 59 and a half is age 59 and a half is the rule on that. Now your regular taxable savings, your regular post-tax buckets, that's your money. There are no rules. There are certainly, as Jonathan alluded to, there are potential tax issues when you sell certain items and things like that. But regardless, that's your money. It's yours to keep. You can do whatever you want with it. So there's definitely benefit there. And I think I think that's important to mention. Now, we need to look at the other half of that. So 
why would the Roth win in this scenario where I'm pitching to you guys that you could potentially get the capital gains tax-free from your taxable, from your post-tax savings, so VTSAX? Well, the Roth, if you decided to go that route in the FI community, it's a tax diversity play. So the entire scenario I just laid out for taxable savings is predicated on you not having to pay tax if you're inside that 15% marginal tax bracket. So if an administration down the road changes that, which that is just one four-year cycle away from happening, I'm not saying it is, I'm not saying to freak you out, it probably won't. But if it did, then the Roth would give you a guaranteed path that would supersede the benefits you might have been getting with the taxable savings. Right, Brad? Yeah, that makes sense to me. And and I just wanted to clarify two quick items because, you know, I think we we throw around terminology and it's important that we obviously have people in the audience with all different levels of knowledge and, and we don't want to be exclusive of anybody or, or confuse people. So marginal tax bracket. I think we've we've mentioned that a couple of times. A lot of people don't understand the fundamentals of our taxation system. They think, oh, I'm in the 25 percent bracket, which means all of my dollars of income are taxed at that 25 percent. So theoretically, you had $100,000 of income. There's no deductions, whatever, which is hypothetically at 25%, it would be $25,000 in tax. That is not how it works at all. That is not how our system works. We have the concept of, of marginal tax bracket. So marginal meaning the next dollar or or the last dollar in, the, in this case. It's the marginal tax bracket you're in is literally what that last dollar is taxed at. So marginal is, okay, I make 100,000 and we have different tax brackets. So for instance, I'm looking at the tax tables for 2017 for married filing joint tax filers, the income, the taxable income. So this actually is after all of your deductions and, and such. When your taxable income is over over $75,900, that next dollar is taxed at 25%, but your $75,899 is only taxed at 15%. So because the 15% bracket goes from all the way down from 18,650 up to 75,900. So every dollar in that range is taxed at 15%. And like I said, from 75,900 all the way up to 153,100 is taxed at 25%. So realistically, for the vast majority of people, you're not over the 25% marginal bracket because that's $153,100. That's after all of your deductions. So that potentially, especially when you're talking maximizing 401ks and things like that, that's gross income of over $200,000. So that's, that's not most people, obviously, that's a tiny minority of people. So for, again, the vast majority of people, you're in realistically the 15% bracket for most of your dollars, maybe the 25% bracket for some of them. So yeah, I definitely wanted to just explain that concept of the marginal tax bracket again. And I will link to an article that shows those brackets just so you can get a visual understanding of it. And also Jonathan did mention in passing the tax diversity play. And I think this, a lot of financial planners focus on, on this for, oh, put your money into a Roth IRA and a 401k because that allows you tax diversity, which, you know, I guess, again, from from a non-FI community perspective, this makes sense. 
right? You want to give people options. So when they get to 59 and a half or 62 or whenever they're retiring, they have some money in their Roth IRA. They have some money in their 401k. And depending on the prevailing taxation system and what their particular circumstances are with their any income they might be getting and whatever their expenses are, they have some options, right? They can pull money out of the Roth IRA tax-free because as we've discussed, you pay tax when you put the money in decades before, or you can pull money out of your 401k or traditional IRAs and that's a taxable event at that point. So that's the concept of the tax diversity play that Jonathan mentioned. And you will hear that a lot, especially from financial planners. And and I'm not trying to diminish their their thought here. That That for the vast majority of people, that's a sensible play, and and I really do understand it. But but again, the Phi community thinks a little bit differently. So that's that's why we focus on the the tax deferred items. But it is important, and you do need to know it. Yeah, and I want to say that I would not do that. So when it comes down to four hundred one k in the Phi community, when it comes down to four hundred one k or tax deferred versus your Roth, almost every time that I can think of, I would just max out your deferred first. I mean, just that that to me makes sense. That the, the the place that you have some wiggle room that really you can have a conversation is once you've maxed out your 401k. And now this is specifically for the FI community. Once you max out your 401k, do you want to split what's remaining between your taxable and your Roth IRA? That is a conversation that I think is completely valid to have. But but I think we're pretty set on the fact that you need to max out the tax deferred first. Yeah, without a doubt. Okay. And there's one critical point there. And if we if we talk about the tax diversity play, this is a really nice feature of the of the Roth, let's say that you get to retirement and you have this monster portfolio and you're tax deferred and you've decided that the lifestyle that you want to live is right up at the edge of that 15% marginal tax bracket. You're drawing out $95,000 in income for, from the, from that portfolio, but you would like a little bit extra, but at the same time, you're conflicted because you really want to stay under that 15% marginal tax bracket. This is a place where if you had money in the Roth, you could draw out whatever extra amount you wanted to supplement that lifestyle while at the same time staying under that 15% marginal tax bracket. So that is one cool little nuance of the Roth. Yeah, that's really cool, Jonathan. So yeah, let's uh, let's talk about the problem with all this. That's a great point. Uh, there are income limits on the Roth IRA. Uh, not everybody is eligible for this. And I've looked up the exact limits and it does change on, on a annual basis. So this is going to be a moving target. But I think right now it's phased out as your modified adjusted gross income passes for a married couple, $186,000, and for a single person, $118,000. So you will not have access to this once you pass that modified adjusted gross income in those two ranges for those two different scenarios. Yeah, and just a quick point of clarification, there is a very abbreviated phase out. So it's, it is slightly over the numbers that Jonathan mentioned, the 186 for married filing joint and the 118 for single. You get reduced contribution limit ability between, let's say for married filing joint, between 186,000 and 196,000. So they phase that out extremely quickly. So because that's going to impact maybe one-tenth of 1% of, of our audience, we're really not going to focus on that, but it does exist. So there is that phase-out period. And for singles, it's between 118 and 133,000. So again, that's really not worth focusing on here. It's We're just going to go with the regular contribution limit, which is 186K for married and 118 for single. All right. Now, if you can slide into that space, you can contribute as an individual $5,500 yourself, or, you know, if it's you and your spouse, $11,000. And if you're over the age of 50, you get to play catch up. So it's $6,500 each or $13,000. So there's an extra $1,000 catch up there. 
Uh, so that is kind of the space in which we're working. Now, what's interesting is now we're digging deep into tax law and you do have some control over this. This was your modified adjusted gross income. That does not mean that if you make $200,000, you are ineligible for this because that's your income before you make these adjustments. So in order for us to really explore who can still access this, we need to take a look at how you can adjust your gross income. Right, Brad? Yeah, I think that's important. So there's a couple tools that basically everybody has available to them and we're going to go through them one at a time. These are the biggest levers that you can pull if you are right there at the door. So you're 200,000, maybe you're 220,000, you're you're outside the window, you have some room to potentially get yourself and all you need to be is $1 below that limit and now you have access to this. So if we can reduce your income by whatever dollar we need to to get you down under 186, so 185,999, you're gonna be eligible for this and that's where the person that loves the spreadsheets is gonna win. The easiest thing you can do to reduce your gross income is to max out your tax deferred accounts. This is a super easy play. So if you and your wife work, you can now put up to $36,000 into your respective 401ks or $18,000 individually. And that's a moving target. It goes up usually each year. I believe it's indexed to inflation, but there's no guarantees on it. So that can change from year to year. But essentially right now, 2017, if you're married, you both have access to the 401k, you can drop your income by up to $36,000 by maxing out those 401 case. So right out the gate, that means that you can make up to basically $222,000 and still be eligible for the Roth. But it gets better if you're one of these lucky individuals that has access to the 457. And in a crazy world, if both you and your spouse have access to the 457, you can do that again. So if you do that, now you can make up to $258,000 and still be eligible for the Roth IRA. You can see how ridiculous this gets. Knowing how to modify your income is extremely powerful in learning how these other tools become available. And there's more. These other tools are also available to you if you had access or alternatively, if you had an access to a SEP IRA, a solo 401k or an HSA, all of those would drop your gross income. All right. So Jonathan touched on all the major items and there is an entire list of deductions that factor into AGI and then into modified AGI. And it's it's way beyond the scope, obviously, or or your interest level at this point in listening to this podcast. We're not going to belabor this and and talk about every single one here. But suffice to say, there are other deductions that factor into this calculation. And we'll link to an article that we found that line items, all of them. But just know that what Jonathan talked about, those are the major items. And the larger picture here is that many people are eligible, especially people in the FI community who are who are deferring all of this money into their retirement accounts. You can have well over $200,000 of, of income if you're married filing joint. So a lot of people have the ability to do this. But I think what Jonathan really wanted to talk about in summation is the backdoor Roth IRA. And, and we talked about this in passing with the physician on fire about people with significant incomes, just huge incomes. And clearly no amount of adjustments are going to get them below that 186,000. So we do want to really play to the high income audience here for a second, because this is a nice little tool that, that should be emphasized. Yeah. Now this is where the power of the backdoor Roth really shines. Now I threw a lot of tools in there and you probably won't have access to everything that I just said to reduce your AGI. So there's really no way that you're going to make over $300,000 and still qualify for this Roth IRA. 
through the front door. Now, that is where we talk about the back door. And this is really cool. I have this article pulled up and this was written by the White Coat Investor. And I think he honestly is one of the premier resources on the backdoor Roth and the backdoor Roth tutorial. I will link to his various articles in the show notes. Uh, He was one of the first people I ever saw talk about this. And obviously physicians are really one of the most obvious career choices that are going to benefit from this as they are generally high income earners with access to lots of different vehicles more income than they have vehicles, they're going to really need to take advantage or consider taking advantage of something like this. So he has an excellent article on it. We'll link to it. But in general, the reason that this is possible is that in 2010, the IRS made a rule change and they got rid of income limits on converting funds initially made into a traditional IRA into a Roth IRA. That is essentially what is going to make the backdoor Roth possible. Now, there's three very, very important steps here. And the first step is you have to get rid of any money that is in a SEP IRA, a simple IRA, a traditional IRA, or rollover money by December 31st of the year in which uh, you actually do step three, which is the conversion from the non-deductible traditional IRA to the Roth IRA. And this is important because you have you need to avoid essentially what is called a pro rata calculation. And when you hear the word pro rata, think in proportion. Now, what does that mean? Well, what's happening here is you're taking advantage of this rule change and you're filling up your traditional IRA. You're not taking advantage of the pre-tax. You're doing a non-deductible contribution to it. And if you have money in your SEP IRA, simple IRA, any of those vehicles, and then you try to roll money over into your Roth, the IRS requires that you do this pro rata calculation, which basically means you need to take a ratio of your pre-tax to post-tax money as you pull it over. And kind of imagine like your cream and your coffee, it's a challenge to separate those out. You don't want to you don't want to go through that ordeal. So in order to make this work, it's very important that by December 31st of that year, you're just focusing on that non-deductible contribution in your traditional IRA that you're rolling over and you don't have any pre-tax money in your SEP IRA, simple IRA, simple IRA accounts. Right, Brad? Yeah, that's exactly right. And and just looking at this White Coat Investor article, he has three ways that you can get rid of these accounts. And the first and least recommended is to withdraw the money. And you don't want to do that because it's subject to tax or penalties. So that's clearly not advisable. You can convert the entire amount to a Roth IRA and he only recommends this if it's a really small amount and you can afford to pay the taxes out of the current earnings or taxable investments, which have a relatively high basis already. And the third and preferable option is to roll the money into a 401k, 403b, or an individual 401k. And he said that 401ks don't count in the aforementioned pro rata calculation. So that's the way that you want to approach getting rid of those type of accounts. And this is an important nuance to point out here that uh, Vanguard does not accept IRA rollovers into an individual 401k. Uh, They just don't have that feature available. So if you wanted to do this, to take advantage of this, you would need to open up an account with another maybe a Schwab or a Fidelity. I know Fidelity offers that. So in summary, that's step one. You've gotten rid of all of the the complications, everything that would cause a pro rata calculation. You have gotten rid of that. Uh, Now in step two, you are going to make a $5,500 contribution to your traditional IRA. This is non-deductible. It would actually be $6,500. If you're over the age of 50, you can do it for yourself and for your spouse. 
Uh, you can use the same IRA accounts each year. Uh, they're going to mostly be lying dormant and active, uh, but that that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Really, in a perfect world, it, it won't go up or down. The point of this is not for you to make a gain or to or for it to grow. You just are trying to take advantage of this tax law loophole. So to put it in something like a prime money market fund, anything that's going to keep the math simple here is going to be really perfect. Yeah. And that's the crucial part. We want to make this as easy as humanly possible. And it's also important just to take a step back and realize like what we're doing here. So you're making a contribution into a traditional IRA, which normally would be tax deferred, which means that it's deductible in the current year. It reduces your taxable income. That is not what you're doing here. You are making a non-deductible contribution to this traditional IRA. So that in theory, is not ideal because you're not getting a tax deduction for it in the current year. And you're putting it into this vehicle that would be taxed when you pull the money out many years from now. But that's what, as Jonathan said, this is a loophole. And it's frankly, like from a tax perspective, it's it's very silly that this even exists, which is why Keith from The Wealthy Accountant thinks that that there's potential for this to go away because this clearly was not the intention of of this. This is just an end around. So we're going to continue with with the steps here. But but I do want to make the, the larger picture known. So that's what you're doing. You're ultimately putting money into this traditional IRA, but non-deductible. And then we're going to talk about how you convert that into a Roth IRA and get the benefits of a Roth IRA because that's that's the play here. Perfect. Now, in step three, you're going to convert the non-deductible traditional IRA to a Roth. And you do this by transferring the money from the traditional IRA to the Roth IRA at the same fund company. So this can be done in a minute or two online at Vanguard. So keep in mind, while I said that you couldn't do a IRA rollover into an individual 401k at Vanguard, you can do this part. That was just to allow you to do this without the pro rata. So once you're on step three, now now you can do this at our home sweet home, which is Vanguard. And uh, when you actually try to transfer the money, you're going to get this like crazy sign that says, this is a taxable event warning you. And that's true. It is taxable, but the tax bill zero because you've already paid the taxes on that 5,500 because it was a non-deductible contribution to your traditional IRA. Uh, you could not claim it as a deduction because you made too much freaking money. So now you can continue with this game plan. All right, so that is it. You're basically done. Now there is some minutia here. It, it is absolutely critical that that you get the paperwork right on this. There's a form and I believe it's called an 8806. Is that right, Brad? Yeah, I believe that's right. Okay. Now this form, you have to fill this out the right way. If you don't fill it out the right way, you're going to get taxed again on that. And so I don't feel comfortable walking you through that form personally on this show now. White Coat Investor already did a brilliant job showing you exactly what that is. He has an article on his site called The Backdoor Roth Tutorial, and he will walk you through that entire process. And either you or your accountant should go look at that as a way to make sure that you're doing this right and you're not getting you're not getting double taxed on it. But that is an important addendum to this. You've got to make sure that you dot your I's and you cross your T's. All right, so that is a, a hopefully just a high-level view of how you might end up using this. And finally, there's one extra really cool thing that I want to talk about. And again, White Coat Investor is the man for, for everything back to a Roth. He is the premier resource on this. Go to his site, check it out. He also had a chapter on the Bogleheads Guide to Retirement Planning. And Bogleheads is a phenomenal website for everything Vanguard. It's basically, it's a fan club for Jack Bogle, who was the creator of Vanguard. And in this particular section, White Coat Investor wrote a short summary on how you can crush this game. So if you are wanting to leave a retirement account for your kids or your grandkids, the Roth is like a superpower. 
Uh, have you ever heard of the stretch Roth, Brad? Honestly, I have not heard of that. I'm interested to hear more. I'm just going to read it. It's like one paragraph, but I, I couldn't say it any better. And it's and it's brilliant. So this is from that chapter that he wrote. Imagine there's an 18 year old man who starts with a Roth IRA with two thousand dollars today. He gets married at age 53 to someone 20 years his junior. He dies at 73 and leaves her his Roth IRA, which she lumps into her own. Now she dies 40 years later at age 93 and leaves a Roth to her great grandchild who is two years old at the time of her death. The child begins taking the required minimum distributions, which at that age is just over 1% of the balance, much less than the amount that the Roth IRA is likely to be growing each year, even after inflation. Now, assuming the child lives a long, healthy life, let's say age 95 and never withdraws more than the RMD, required minimum distribution, this IRA will have provided tax-free growth for 188 years, and he will still leave tax-free money for his heirs. Assuming a 9% return, the original $2,000 would be worth $229,000 at the time of the man's death. When his wife dies 40 years later, it would be worth $7.2 million. And 93 years later, this same IRA would have provided millions of dollars of distributions to the great-grandchild, who can leave further millions to his heirs. If he is able to invest the original IRA and reinvest the distributions at 8%, he could leave behind more than $9 billion. Now that's an estate tax problem. How ridiculous <laughs> is that, Brad? Wow. That is uh, a perfect case study in the power of compounding, right? Even taking required minimum distributions out of that, that is just absolutely amazing. I mean, it, it just doesn't get better than that. 180 plus years of compounding tax tax rate. That's, that's incredible. Totally ridiculous and totally doable. I mean, not necessarily those numbers numbers, you know, all the way around. But at the margins, those can be adjusted to your own scenario for second and third and fourth generation fire. That could really happen, especially when we start capturing the imagination of some of these 16 year olds who start putting money in their Roth, you know, at the age of six to 16, somewhere in that age. If they were given that idea, along with all the other tools that we're talking about, why couldn't they do that? Of course they could do that. There's that's easy. It just it's going in the background. Yeah, that's really cool. That is that is just a perfect anecdote to me. That is a different way of looking at a problem and finding a solution that maybe no one else thought about. But our community is is positioned so well to look for these opportunities and then own them, right? And actually use them in their own life. So I hope you all enjoyed this high level picture of one of the buckets. And I hope that you enjoyed this series as we slowly drip release these over the next several months, all the different tools that you have available to you. And I think that again, coming back to the big picture here, as we start to develop these different frameworks for these different income brackets, it's going to benefit all of us if we're operating from the same place with the tools that we have available to crush this game and enjoy the process, right, Brad? Yeah, without a doubt. So uh, yeah, I hope this is a valuable overview of, of the buckets in general and then the Roth IRA and the backdoor Roth specifically. And as Jonathan said, bigger picture, it's important to always focus on that. But but we do need to get down into the minutiae from time to time without questions. So yeah, I enjoyed this. Definitely learned a lot from the White Coat Investor and hopefully you did as well. All right, guys, the fire is spreading. We'll see you next time as we continue to go down the road less traveled. You've been listening to Choose FI Radio Podcast where we help middle-class America build wealth one life hack at a time.